You're now listening to a new episode of Gratitude Through Hard Times. Gratitude instills humility. Gratitude removes ego. Gratitude helps empower the best in others around you. Our goal is to guide individuals and companies to practice gratitude so you can live a longer, happier, and more successful life. Get ahead of life with connection and purpose. This is Gratitude Through Hard Times with Chris Shembra. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Gratitude Through Hard Times. It's your host, Chris Shembra, and today I'm recording this from beautiful and warm New York City. Yesterday was a 60-degree day. We enjoyed a nice sunset, and there's a lot to be grateful for. I want to welcome back a lot of you loyal listeners to this podcast. Many of you started tuning in when our podcast was called 747 Conversations. But after the release of our most recent book in June of 2022, in which that book hit number one on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, we decided to rebrand our podcast to the title of that book, Gratitude Through Hard Times finding positive benefits through our darkest hour. We thank you for your loyal listenership and your support of us along this journey. I know some of you are tuning into this podcast as brand new listeners. I want to give you a big old welcome. If you look back through our podcast episode archives, you'll see hundreds of episodes of us bringing on some of the world's great leaders to tell the story of how they built the companies that they built today through an attitude of gratitude. We invite you to click that subscribe button. And if you like this episode, please share it with another heartfelt leader that you think needs to hear this message. Today's podcast episode is no stranger to gratitude. And we're going to talk about that and how gratitude appears in his life a little bit later on in the conversation. But today, we've got our dear friend, Jamie Hopkins. Um, I met Jamie through um, one of his uh, key business partners, Ron Carson, when Ron came on our podcast in early 2019. If you want to meet his co-author and and, and partner in the business, uh, Ron Carson, please see the episode link in the show notes below. But today we're having Jamie on to talk about his brand new book, Find Your Freedom. Find Your Freedom um, was released a few months ago on financial planning for a life on purpose. It hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, just like our book. And many, many, many people have found great acclaim in the book bindings. Uh, Jamie is the managing partner of Wealth Solutions at the Carson Group. And the Carson Group is one of the, the, the world's premier firms um, for uh, advisory, uh, you know, fi- financial advisory, coaching, wealth management, everything under the sun. They've got $21.2 billion in assets under management, serving over 45,000 households through their partner firm network. Um, Jamie's also a finance professor at Creighton University's Hyder School of Business. He is an uh, author or co-author of, of numerous uh, financial journals. He is the 
nation's kind of go-to media expert on uh, income planning, successful retirement, tax law, uh, being a contributor for so many great, great places. You've seen his face on all the top you know, national networks. He's the co-creator of the Retirement Income Certified Professional Designation, which has over 6,000 graduates since its inception and over 12,000 financial advisors currently enrolled in this program. This is a man who builds systems at scale that impact tens of thousands of people across this great country. Um, We're excited to talk about his book. We're going to cover the topics of gratitude, but it's just going to be a pretty good chat between, uh, between me and Jamie. So without further ado, Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Chris, for having me on. I appreciate it. It's great to see you again, my friend. And uh, yeah, I thought you were going to pull out the uh, the the gratitude dinner at Carson when we met, and uh, I was giving oh. you just all types of trouble that day, just you, just you, ragging on you that you day. You were the worst person <laughs> in human history at that gratitude dinner, but uh, but it, it 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 engendered respect uh, because you're a man who who uh, likes to poke holes at at uh, broken or outdated systems like me and, uh, and make them better. No, it's, um, it's, it's part of your personality is to, uh, is to help those around you succeed by challenging the system. Um, and that's what you've done in, in our friendship, at least. Uh, maybe others hate it, but I love it. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but no, Jamie, um, we're going to be talking about your book. And, um, you know, to all you listeners out there, um, the, the topic of this podcast is really going to be about helping you find your freedom, um, at least in your relationship with money. A lot of you are running great companies. I know who you are, and I know that you have the same trauma and scarcity mindset story that I have and Jamie has with money. We're going to address some of those things today. Um, now, Jamie, we always like to start off with gratitude, and you've heard our signature gratitude question many times. For all you new listeners to this podcast, um, our whole life revolves around this one particular gratitude question. And you can look through the episode archives to see us asking this question to really anybody that will listen. It's the question we've used to spark over 500,000 relationships in the last eight years at our gratitude experiences. Um, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, Jamie, to, to kick off. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life, that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, that you've never thought to thank, that maybe you don't write about in this book, <laughs> <laughs> who would you who would you give that credit and thanks to? Well, uh, I'll have to pick somebody else because you do know that there's one in the book that's yeah. par- partially due to this question that I ended up in there. Um, if I think right now, so there, there are two, this came up uh, recently. I have two new friends in my life that came about pretty recently, like in the last couple years. And there was a night not too long ago and I was actually with Ron and he asked a similar gratitude question. I said, I'm actually really grateful for that because I don't add a lot of new friends that don't have some tie to me. So like both of these people, they're not like part of my business. They're not part of my like kids, parents, friends. I didn't play sports with them. I just like met them and became good friends. And I've been super grateful for that. I don't even know who you thank for that, 
But like that is a that is a form of you know my my friend Kellen and my friend David like they don't rely on me for anything in life right we don't have a forced relationship and that's been super positive for me in the last couple of years. Hmm. What attracted y'all to each other in the first place? Uh, I think it depends <laughs> at this point. Uh, David and I think a lot alike. So you said Challenger. He is a uh, he's a Navy surgeon. Um, he grew up similar, not similar. He grew up in a much more scarcity, uh, background, uh, grew up, uh, you know, you know kind of with one parent. Um, and then, you know, went to Navy actually became a cryptologist first. And then when I met him, he was funny enough. We met during COVID when he was in Guantanamo Bay running the medical facilities there. And he's a Navy surgeon. And like, we met oh, through a mutual shit. friend, uh, that introduced us. And now he's back here in the States, uh, at a, you know, doing military work and, and surgery stuff. But he's just like an amazing person, but he's a challenger of everything. And like, that's how him and I got along. And then uh, Kellen's very much into mentorship and that's how we met. And then she's since joined uh, the board of my nonprofit since then. But we just kicked off. Actually, the very first conversation was about food. I just ran into her at a random dinner and uh, we got like a whatever like T-bone steak thing, the tomahawk steak. And uh, like, it just like grew a friendship literally off of that. <laughs> Those um, serendipitous, um, challenging each other, have n- not many overlaps in maybe your social circles. Like you, you've got a big social network being the leader of a big company and there are no like forced ties you know, you don't owe them anything for your job. They don't owe you anything for this. That's a very, it's a very cool, cool, cool friendship. It, it is because I've learned over time and, and to some people, this extent is much deeper. Uh, but I've learned as I've risen up in my career, like I get called and I start talking to people who I kind of, you know, if you ask me, they'll be like, oh yeah, we're friends. But I don't think we're real friends. I think we're like relationshiply, we get along and we function fine together. We've got some commonalities, but I can always kind of tell like there's always like an ask involved with it, right? It's like, hey, can you get a call with Ron for me? Like, and then you're like, oh yeah, like we're not really friends, are we? You just you want to talk to Ron or do you want to see if your product fits on the platform? And like, there's a lot of that and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I'm usually totally happy to do that for people I care about, but you just realize that like, you know, there's ties that are connecting us that aren't like just because we care about each other. It's because there's these business ties or, you know, the stuff I I call like your accidental communities. And those are like your sports teams you might've ended up with. And you have some relationship because you have to function well together. And they might become your friends, but it was kind of a, like, there's some forced aspect of that, uh, like your family too. <laughs> so I, I like this notion of like having friends that, you know, don't rely on me for money, aren't asking me for things and like, weren't kind of forced upon me, as you said, more serendipitously. Um, you know, I do like the the movie uh, Serendipity too. John Cusack was for a long time, my favorite actor. And that's a good New York movie. It's a good New York movie. John Cusack. I, I aspire to look like him when I grow up one day. So that's a, that's a good person to, uh, to aspire to. to He's awesome. uh, Yeah. He's also somebody who didn't age much either. Right. For like a long period of time. He just kind of looked the same. (laughs) I dig it. Well, I know so many people that tune into this podcast can relate to what you just said. Um, you know, how many people, um, I remember talking to a friend of mine whose company had just gone public and, 
I asked him what he feared the most uh, about his company going public um, for his family. And he said, I'm, uh, I'm fearful that my daughter's friends uh, will now know how much um, the, the daughter's daddy makes and that affecting their relationship. And uh, it's, uh, it's an unfortunate truth about our world. So uh, cheers to David and Kellen. Now, um, Jamie, we're, I'm holding your book, Find Your Freedom, Financial Planning for Life on Purpose. Uh, before we really dive into the details of the book, what, you know, where did this Find Your Freedom message come from? And why is it the theme of 2023 for the Carson Group? Yeah, it's definitely more than a theme for us now, too. It's become, you know, it's really our our promise to people is that this is what we're going to do for you. And I would say it just came, kind of came naturally from our culture. This was not always our tagline or brand promise or what we truly meant to do out there in the world. You know, we were probably more of a traditional financial company earlier on. And you know, companies move as the people move. And I think what we started to notice the last couple of years is that people were craving for something more than spreadsheets and just plans on some Excel sheet and, you know, even cooler CX technology that people were craving meaning and impact on the world. And that Ron himself was going through this kind of transition in his life to, to feel more free and he spearheaded a lot of that aspect of this in culturally and in, in taking the firm to that level and all of the partners that are there. And so as we kind of learned that about ourselves, we've always engaged in a process called blueprinting, which, you know, we talk about in the book too, which is the things like writing your own obituary, setting your core values, all these amazing things that have actually just reshape people's lives. Um, there was actually an obituary recently of a member of one of ours that had passed away and they referenced blueprinting and how it changed mm. the guy's life. And, you know, one of our coaching, uh, our coaches actually just found it. They knew the person had passed away. So they were looking them up and they weren't with Carson anymore. Uh, I guess they had been a coaching member, but weren't part of our, our advisory side. And they looked up their obituary and it referenced it. And you're like, that's amazing. Like that's the impact you want to have in the world where the work you did shows up in somewhere's obituary. And so we kind of then started taking all those pieces and it's really been about a two year process um, and putting it into place in the company first. So we built this whole find your freedom and financial planning into something we call the proven process inside. And so we built that out internally and then we basically codified that to the outside world in the book find your freedom. So it is really a codification, a written down version of what we do at Carson for people who work with us. Mm. It's, um, it's amazing when you can actually build a scalable, trainable, teachable framework around helping people um, create a life on purpose, find their freedom and, you know, find health and, and, and well-being and happiness in long-term financial planning. It's pretty, it, it was pretty neat to see the details that were outlined in this book. Now, you know, in this book, um, you, you, you talk about, um, how, you know, this, this helping people find a life on purpose, um, getting more out of financial planning than just spreadsheets. Uh, you know, th this shift is happening 
for a very specific reason. And one of the funny things that you mentioned is that um, the Bernie Madoff scandal was a tragedy, but it paved a way uh, for people to want to see change in the financial industry. This isn't just Carson Group going through this. How is this a bigger macroeconomic trend? It's absolutely a bigger trend out there. And I don't even know if I want to say that it's a trend, right? It's a movement and just, you know, what's hopefully a more permanent change in the way that people operate and think about the world. And it's an evolution. You know, the financial systems that we have today, you know, some of them are still relatively young. Like when you study the history of markets and investing there's some things that have been around for thousands of years, trade and investing in companies. But then you really get to today's markets and you know stock markets and feds. Like This is a relatively new system. And just the way that we've put professionals into the system is super new. I mean, financial planning has basically been around since the 1980s as a profession. That is a super short period wow. of time, right? Like We kind of think about that. And it's not saying people haven't worked in finance forever and money and currency, but the financial planning profession is 40 years old. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a baby. It's in its infancy stage. So we're learning so much about that. And I think it came about a little bit backwards and the world approached it from products and you know currency, so money first, then investing into thing, then saving, then planning. And so it kind of built piece by piece. But the reality is like we got to the good stuff at the end. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, so now how do we take this planning mindset of taking somebody's life aspirations and goals and who they want to be and then actually like apply all this other stuff we've created over the history of mankind back to it? It just isn't how the system developed. So that's part of the movement. Um, I won't spend too much time on the Bernie Madoff stuff, except for I know that the new documentary is out. I, I've probably been texted, emailed, messaged about it uh, once a day for three months now. Because if if you've listened to me before, that was a big turning point in my career. I was clerking in the appellate division. I'm an attorney by trade. And I worked on one of Bernie Madoff's cases during that time period. And that fundamentally, you know, added to the story of where I ended up because I saw that complete abuse of trust, mm-hmm. right? Like this should be a trusted profession, the person helping you with your money and your livelihood and allowing you to sleep well at night because, you know, no matter how much money you have, you have some concerns financially um, mm-hmm. across the board. And I think a lot of wealthier people, uh, you know, they kind of push that off to the side sometimes. Um, they don't consider themselves wealthy a lot of times. They still have concerns about it, even if they're doing relatively well in the world. Um, Ron's talked about that, that like, you know, Ron's had a lot of success and would still be in fear, living in fear that he would just be out of money and broke and bankrupt. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's a natural fear that a lot of people hold inside from that scarcity background. And so then you want somebody to come in and help you. But the reality is like Bernie Madoff was the most recognizable financial advisor or professional out there. And he just abused this whole relationship. You know, he started off with a legitimate business and then eventually it just became, it all went into one bank account that was his and, you know, they just made up everything else. And that's terrible. And then that pushes people away from wanting to trust this profession that should be here for you. And it's fundamentally different when you're talking about money and death and your aspirations than a lot of the other relationships you have in life. I use Chick-fil-A here, but you could use any fast foods, lunch, breakfast place, is 
you know, if you if you go into Chick-fil-A and you order like a chicken sandwich with no pickles, they put pickles on it. You take it back up and you're like, hey, hey, like, you help me out. I didn't want pickles. They take, they give you, they just give you a new sandwich without pickles on it, right? Like, you're able to solve this transaction issue pretty easily. If somebody abuses and takes all your money, it's super hard to fix that, <laughs> right? Like, it's, or if it all goes wrong and you don't, you don't achieve a successful retirement, well, like, retirement's over. It's like, you can't go back and, like, ask the person for another 20 years back. And so it's this whole different dynamic that we can't fix the transaction very easily. So we, it's built upon trust because we only get one shot at a lot of these things. And this industry is not trusted today. It's not just Carson. The only way that like a Carson and others will impact more people is that more people have to trust it. So nobody can do this alone. None of the great companies out there or great individuals can go at this alone. It is truly that we have to raise it all up. And if, you know, we, we talk about being the most trusted in financial advice, and then I remember people being like, oh, so you guys, you guys want to be the most trusted. It's like, no, we have to be part of a group, a movement, and that is part of the most trusted. Because if it's not a bunch of people, you can't get there, right? Like, you can't just have one in this industry and everybody else is untrusted. Hmm. Rising tides lift all boats. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, you, you cover a lot of this uh, kind of philosophy, this philosophy of, you know, trust in an industry is that most people in this world, their money story, their relationship with money is rooted in trauma and scarcity. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the cool things you do as uh, an author or as a leader, or as a builder of systems, is you loop your vulnerabilities, your trauma and scarcity mindset from a kid, your uh, money story into your book to tell why you're so committed and affected by this financial journey so that you can then invite the protagonist or the reader of the book to insert themselves and their money story into your blueprinting system. What is your money story? Why does everybody have some kind of scarcity and trauma story around money? And then how do you start to use that to invite people to bring their story in to this, this whole blueprinting process and finding their freedom? It's a great question, Chris. And it's probably something you've learned over the time with the the gratitude question is, Often you have to kind of start with yourself and share to make other people, right, feel, you know, worthy, comfortable, open to also sharing. I used to not talk about this a lot because I didn't think people cared. You know, my dad passed away when I was eight years old and um, he was a construction worker and did mostly gutter work, which is, you know, part of the roofing system up on a ladder. And, uh, you know, during a you know, basically what equates to freezing rain um, coming down off a job site at the end of the day, slipped on the ladder and fell and passed away. And so we went from, you know, kind of a household with two parents that hadn't graduated college and were running their own business um, to like a really painful time period. Now, I probably, you know, sometimes my storytelling on this could be improved. As you know, we talked about pre-show, like I focus on certain aspects and like that's the part of the story I kind of lead with the scarcity part, which is the super traumatic part, right? Losing your dad, losing the person that's making the money, um, the family kind of struggling for a time period. 
And that's that, like, you know, that's where I have a lot of, uh, I do have a lot of pain from that as it related to money. And like, I had to realize that relationship over time, but just looking back. Now, the funny thing about this is having now talked about this, um, I, I shared it one time on stage. I think the very first time I shared it when doing a speech, somebody literally came up to me and like hugged me and started crying. And their, their dad had just passed away like that week and they were there. And it just kind of like opened up this whole thing. And I was like, you know, I, I do need to keep sharing that story, even if it's tough sometimes for me. Now, the interesting, I'll add, this is an interesting part that uh, came about from writing the book too, is my interaction with my mom around this is super interesting because her views of money were not shaped through that experience. And we have a different view, which is super interesting, right? And I talk about that in the book too, and she's not a huge fan of it either. Just like, she's amazing. And, uh, you know, she went through this scarcity time period with children and then built back up a successful business and is still running that business today. And so she kind of, you know, went down into that hole with us, but came back out and is super proud of everything that she did in that world. Um, which is just interesting because it, what it told me even after I wrote the book now was how, how impactful those first experiences are because right. My mom, that's her experience in her thirties. She's had 30 years of money experiences and her relationship was formed a little bit and she's a giver. So even though she went through that, that trough and that pain time period, she remained a giver. It didn't change from her first money experiences. Right. And like, that's so beautiful too, that she, that she still gets joy out of giving money to, you know, giving money, giving time, giving gifts to other people. And it actually, to me, highlights this aspect of how important and influential those first experiences are. Right. And to me, that all of that is not even in the book because some of that's occurred since I wrote it and then started talking to my mom about it. But it's been this really interesting conversation that we've now been going through on the impact here. Can sometimes, um, is that Ron's dog? The, that, uh, that's the brown dog? That's uh, that's my dog. I, I don't know what he's barking at, but <laughs> I, I like a lot of people now work from home and he's running around. I love it. Great to meet you, Baxter. Um, is is um, is it possible that sometimes uh, giving can be uh, something driven by um, confidence? Uh, giving can be something driven by. Um, you know, genuine, genuine want to give and empathy and curiosity and connection, but the giving can also sometimes be done as a way to mask insecurity. Um, so you give uh, in order to make people want to like you in order to, you know, mask the insecurity of feeling like you're not enough. And so you got to go above and beyond to give. You ever run into that? Yeah, I do. Look, I, I mean, you could look at more like big picture stuff that occurs out there in the world. But there's there are people that give back. And I'm going to go a little darker here of this. So sorry about that. But, uh, you know, yeah, like you see people that give back to initiatives and things where they, um, you know, they may have had trauma from or even impacted the trauma in that world. And that's a little like morbid. And I'm thinking like you can look at people who, 
um, are big philanthropists in a given area, but are actually like big abusers in that area uh-huh. too, right? You can look at corporations like that too that give back to environmental causes, but are basically the biggest, <laughs> right? Like causes of environmental issues there. And they're trying to really mask some of that insecurity then as a company or as an individual around those areas. Now, that's that's just one I'm using because I think more people will be kind of cognizant and familiar of that. Like, oh, yeah, I get that. Um, sometimes that's done from a PR aspect, from a corporate level. But individuals then react the same way. When you have guilt about something, you might use giving any more visual platform like that to cover some of it, right? Mm-hmm. To say, hey, this is a Band-Aid. Um, it doesn't mean that it's coming from a bad place that you're giving, right? It's just coming from a different place. Uh, I have a whole other theory on, on that side of the world. I think, generally speaking, uh, everybody makes selfish decisions. And a lot of times when people hear me say that, they think it means that like they're bad. Being selfish is not a bad thing in a lot of cases. It just means like you're making the decision that you think is best typically for you, even if it's giving, even if it's showing gratitude, it's coming from a place that you are this being that's been taught to stay alive. <laughs> like that's, mm-hmm. that's our goal. So mm-hmm. we make a lot of decisions based around that. Then that doesn't mean there's not some selfless acts out there. Uh, but I think most decisions are kind of based around this core sense of ourself and survival. Even if it's helping other people, it could be tied back to that. The other part though is a lot of people give either out of habit um, or out of their love language. And I think that the habit part is super interesting. And I make fun of this in the book and I, I do it a lot now. It's like I have I, the concept, if you really think about it in our country, of gift giving on people's birthdays makes like no sense. I, I, I complain about this all the time. Like I was just born. I didn't do anything. <laughs> like why do I get a gift for that? Right? Like it doesn't make any sense. Like my mom did something, my dad did something, like they should get gifts and we should celebrate them on that day for bringing a life into this world and like nurturing and hey, you you kept that thing alive another year, congrats, here's a gift. Like that makes total sense to me. (laughs) And uh, I do know that there are some cultures where the gift giving actually does go to the parents on birthdays, not to the children. So I thought that, I think that's a really cool thing. So that's a habit-based thing, right? It's a culturally Mm -hmm. based habit of giving. Uh, it's probably not based actually off of much besides that. Uh, but for other people, you know, giving shows their, it's a way to express love for them. Right. And that's how my mom feels like she likes buying my, uh, her grandkids and my kids stuff. And that's a way for her to express love because she doesn't get to see him every day. Folks that are listening, all of that is not in the book. But I hope you get a good, a good, good, good idea about how, how deeply this man thinks about so many of these topics. Now, one of the parts that is in the book of what you just talked about is the part of the book where you talk about paying yourself first. And um, we won't go deeply into that chapter, but folks, there's an entire chapter about how successful financial planning and life planning and finding your freedom means you got to be a little bit selfish sometimes and pay yourself first so that by the end of your life, you've received the dividends of these little selfish acts of, you know, retirement savings along the way. Now you've, you've just outlined a, a lot of core things about your philosophy, or at least your philosophy of one specific thing, um, about life. And, um, 
that 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 is that is interwoven throughout this entire book. But I do want to call out uh, three specific small uh, chapters just to give some 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 actionable takeaways for our people. You know, one of the um, well, I'll start with the gratitude one. Um, chapter twenty three of the book. Yes, folks, there's twenty three chapters in this book. This is a very well written well-documented framework that will teach you a lot of key takeaways and action steps of, you know, financial planning for a life on purpose in your own life. You, the protagonist, the reader of this book. But chapter 23 is celebrate your accomplishments for continued success. You know, at Carson Group, you have something called life moments. It's a timeline that captures all the great moments and money successes and financial planning accomplishments that you have achieved so far, how important is gratitude and moments of reflection and appreciation in uh, the lens of financial planning and living a life on purpose? Yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely key, which is, you know, why we built that whole thing out so you could take that time to show gratitude for the things you've accomplished to yourself, to those that have helped you along that, that path. And you'd forget about a lot of them. And it goes right to your question. Like, if you, you know, who would you give gratitude that you haven't before? When you actually take the time to look at all those moments, people are always awestruck by, you know, I forgot about all those things that we did. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I wasn't taking gratitude about, oh, we, we accomplished that five years ago. I totally forgot about that because life got so busy now and all these other things are on my mind. And I'm not appreciative enough of it. And it's not being, you know, it's not just being appreciative, but it's realizing, I think, how much worth you are and how much value there is out there in the world. It's really super positive. And, you know, I, I haven't been in all these meetings, but I mean, I know that, you know, when we first rolled it out, we had some couples that had some really impactful stuff along the years because we took some back stuff and filled it out in there. And, you know, we have had the stories of people crying together, looking back at it because it's stuff like, you know, funding, you know, your grandkids college. And then, you know, your grandkids have now since graduated from college and had a kid. And you're looking back that you helped all that occur. And you might have, you know, you probably didn't take all the time and realize the impact that you had out there. And that freedom that you've generated in your life or somebody else's life, that's been a really great add to what we do and deliver at Carson. And it kind of goes to the other point, like it gets us away from conversations about spreadsheets and returns and investments. And it gets us back to this conversation of like impact and the journey that we're on, because Mm -hmm. reality is it's not about the numbers. It's about what we're able to do. You know, like if I said, like, you never need another dollar again, but you're allowed to do whatever you want. You'd be like, hey, that's a pretty good trade off. Like, <laughs> like, I don't need anybody then, right? Like, if I'm just allowed to do things, like, currency is just a means for allowing us to exchange things so we can have and do the things we want to do. You know, but if we remove that, it's meaningless, right? So, if you can mm-hmm. do whatever you want, great. Uh, and so, that's really what kind of planning and freedom is about for most people is some aspect of achieving some outcome and being able to do it. The dollars are a means to that and the planning's a means to it, but they're not the end of it. They're not the purpose to it. That's pretty neat. In that explanation, you talked about impact, impact on others. And you talked about gratitude, which is the acknowledgement that you've received a value or benefit from others, uh, which ties into chapter 20 in your book called Power of Community. 
Um, can you provide some examples of how, um, why community support is so important in the financial planning process and how a network of peers can help you, you know, stay, uh, stay on track with your goals? Absolutely. So what I'll tell you is, I think that chapter, I, I, I'm glad that you like that one too. Uh, a couple of <laughs> people have told me that that's like their favorite chapter in the book, yeah. Community One. And it does it does have a little, I mean, it's truly like a my view of community though. I mean, I have some research quotes pulled in there, but it's it's a lot of my view and it's a little bit different. Like I do talk about this concept of accidental communities, um, you know, things that you just kind of ended up in that you didn't pick. And so- Like David and Kellen. Yep. And some of them are super positive, right? Yeah. So that is actually Kellen's favorite chapter, by the way, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, and David's got a story at the end of the book too. He's actually in the in, in the book, and uh, you know, you look at accidental communities, and I'm like, well, challenge your communities. Are they all positive for you anymore? And you have the <clears> same <throat> thing when it comes to your finances and your freedom. You know, and I don't want to pick on like stereotypes and tropes, but I just use this one, right? Like if you went to, if you were a, a guy and you went to college, you're part of a fraternity and maybe they didn't mature in the same way that you have at the point of life you're in and they still go gambling and spending all this money and spending outside their means and you go on those trips too and you spend too much and it causes you anxiety when you get back. The reality is like you should reevaluate how that relationship and that community fits into your life. It might have been a super great community for you, and maybe it will be again at some point, but it might not be today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be lots of things. Like I was in a, you know, I played a, a lot of sports, and I was in a, you know, a league here where we played soccer, and like it was a pretty intense league. And I, I dropped out of it. Now it's not unhealthy in the sense like is it bad to be physically active and play soccer? No, but it was a pretty intense league, and I kept getting hurt. And so what I, I had to step back and say like is it worth it to be part of a community where I keep getting physically injured, right? (laughs) Even though like, you know, it's not unhealthy in the same way, but like, it's not healthy for me anymore. Like I keep getting hurt because it's, you know, I'm getting too old. (laughs) Like I I can't keep up anymore. And so I had to leave that community. And that's the right decision because my aspirations in life are all about being there for my family and others. Now, the core part of community is like, one, human beings need community so badly. We are not just individuals on an island, the bell tolls, right? All of those things. Uh, You know, we are part of a community. We crave it. And we actually make better decisions inside of communities. As we become closer to more people, we actually make more altruistic and bigger picture decisions. When we become more isolated, we actually make more selfish decisions and mm-hmm. isolated decisions, which is research actually that looks all across the world. It's not culturally driven like US versus Canada. It's literally, that's how people behave across the world. Well, it's, it's, it's Adam Grant calls it otherish behavior. Yeah, yeah otherish behavior. And uh, so you look at that. And the other thing that I always look at with community is it allows you to know that you can do it too. And sometimes I use a funny example about this. Like you have somebody in your group or your community and they achieve something and you look at them and you're like, well, like I'm better than them. I know I can do that. <laughs> like and that's kind of a funny version. Like, but you realize that like community tells you that things are possible, that you can achieve mm-hmm. things that without the community, you might have not believed are true. 
And, you know, I think that inspires people. It allows us to go further and farther in our life than we otherwise would have been able to alone. And that's the whole notion of, right, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. But if you want to go far, you go, go together. Yeah. You go together. And that's what communities allow us to do. And, and a big part of it is belief that we are able to do this. Um, but communities should, good communities should also watch out for you. Uh, I use a story sometimes about community and birds, and this is a kind of a funny story. So uh, for a long time, Chris, they didn't know how flocks of birds moved together. You know, like you imagine and they all kind of shift and they dive and they swoop up and down. And so if you go back to like the ancient Greeks and Romans, they talked about, you know, the hands of gods moving birds, right? Um, you know moving them around. So that's one you can you can interweave into something one day too. And then there was actually a time period that they say, did birds have some type of collective soul, right? Not just a bad band, but like, you know, collective soul of birds. And they then there was like, well, did they have some other type of communication that we're unaware of, right? A sixth sense of sorts. And then it was funny, it actually mostly came through in a breakthrough in video game programming, which is actually where they kind of figured it out. So they, they would kind of move to blocky, when they would be like one bird mm -hmm. to the right moves one block, you move one block, et cetera. Um, they kind of move like a block. And then what the guy realized is that they, I think it's three birds away. So the program is basically like this bird moves when bird three moves. So like they're not actually watching the bird next to them at any time or the one next to them. They're watching a bird three birds away. So the, the only reason they're able to react fast enough is because they're watching this greater community wow. and they move when somebody else moves. Wow. And it's super cool, right? Because it's like, hey, this community. And then the great thing about flocks of birds is they can fly further together, right? The wind resistance part. Yeah. They actually avoid predators better because they have all the eyes out there looking as opposed to one. So as a group, they're actually, they are better able to move. Uh, they actually do move faster. So even the like, if you want to move fast part's not true. They move faster. They avoid predators yeah. better. And more, they, they move more efficiently. Yeah. That's the important part. Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool, right? That you have all of that together and it's because they're watching out three birds away. And that's a great reference of community and why you want to be part of a really good one. We're going to we're going to find the video. Do you have the video of that? Or do you have a video explaining that? Uh, so I've done it in a couple speeches, but um there's a there actually is somebody who has woven that into I don't remember. It's a community based one, but he had a there's a guy that did a TED talk and included that in Parts uh, of that in one of his TED talks too. We'll find that put in folks. We'll we'll put that in the show notes below. Um, Jamie, you you've got stories and you've got uh, anecdotes and you've got <laughs> you, you know you got you got things for pretty much everything you could ever think of. You know, it's amazing to hear. Um, I do want to be conscientious of of, of your time and, and and our listeners' time as well. Um, I mean, it, there were so many different things that you said just in that last monologue that I can relate to 10 different chapters in your book. Yeah. Um, that's how much you weave your personal philosophy into these teachings um, and, and into the systems that y'all have built. Um, but I want to wrap up with um, kind of a, a simple yet, yet really deep question. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting to take control of their finances and wants to start their financial planning journey. Like in the book, you literally describe the different things that you should be thinking of for your twenties, your thirties, your forties, but like, what's one piece of advice? Yeah, this one will be a little bit more generic, 
because I think it applies to everybody, is that you are worthy of great financial freedom, right? Like that is the most important thing. Like you are worthy of financial freedom. Um, because a lot of people that come from scarcity backgrounds do not feel that they're worthy of it, that they didn't mm. see it, they didn't experience it, and they don't believe they should have it. And so everybody needs to start with that belief. Because if you don't believe that, all the other work and strategies and investment tactics, tax tactics, right, that'll all be siloed off from the impact and your true meaning. Jamie, thank you for that. So many times in life, Success is not determined by your network or your your intellect or your the job that you have or, or or even who's around you, but your success is determined by whether or not you can have a positive mental attitude and believe that you are worthy of these great benefits that you've been bestowed. Because I've seen a lot of people, a lot of you listeners with some of the best networks and intellect in the world completely squander it away because you didn't believe that you were worthy of it. So that's a, a great, great piece of advice that I, I, I struggle with on a daily basis. So I can't wait to hire you as my therapist and coach um, and help me through that big quandary. Um, <laughs> but folks, uh, big round of applause. Jamie, thank you for coming on this podcast. Any last words in closing? No, Chris, but well, yeah, I do. I was going to say, <laughs> but uh, absolutely you are worthy too, my friend. And uh, I know you struggle with that from time to time and lots of people do and that's okay, right? Yeah. It's also okay to recognize our struggles. And I, I know you talk about that a lot too. That helps us be, you know, show more gratitude and get further down the path. Makes us human. Uh, folks, thanks for tuning in. I mean, um, I could have had a hundred questions based on everything, you know, to, Jamie talking about community reminds me of a lot of you and I've been in the room together where we are fearful about talking about our finances together. I mean, here we are, you know, I know a lot of you that might've just raised a hundred million dollars and three months later, you need more money. Where did it go? Let's talk about it. How much did you set aside for yourself, even though your company has gone bankrupt? Like these are conversations that you need to have amongst communities so that you can get the confidence of knowing that you need to really start planning. Um, you know, you need to be planning. A lot of your fast growth founders, you need to be planning for your own personal retirement, even in the midst of trying to plan on the financial well-being of your company. You need to be doing both at once. Jamie addresses on some of those things within the book, but Carson Group as a whole has helped a lot of great founders and entrepreneurs like you navigate those really tricky situations. Um, so obviously read the book. Um, you know, obviously think about how to how to build a life of purpose in your own life. Um, but check out the Carson Group. Uh, they're, they're some of the world's world's nicest people um, based out of Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Ron Carson is a dear friend. Uh, Jamie is a dear friend. They're filled with really, really, really nice people. Um, so thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, uh, thoughts, comments, concerns uh, that you'd like, to pass along to Jamie, please let me know. Jamie's contact details will be in the show notes below. Feel free to reach out to him. Ask him about his dog or anything. Just have a good conversation. You could be a David or, or Kellen one day too. Um, but hope you all having a phenomenal day on earth. Remember folks, it's your world. Go explore. Hit that subscribe and share button and we'll see you next episode. Talk to you all later.